Blaine and Mickey 104.5, The Zone. Hey, keep your head on a swivel today, folks. Weather's supposed to get a little weird. If anything happens, we'll let you know over the next couple of hours. Uh, Blaine is out. The hitman getting a little bit uh, a little bit more time away. Alex Apple filling in for Blaine again today. We got Lucas back. Lucas That's really a, the big addition. Yeah. He's wearing a Ferrari shirt. Is there a story behind that? Uh, my girlfriend got me this shirt when she went to the F1 race in Austin this year. Okay. I knew there was a story behind it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, little story. And as an Italian, I'm obligated to support Ferrari <laughs> in Formula One. Uh, my seven-year-old son would freak out over that shirt. He is all about cars. Love he it. Loves, oh, my gosh. he's He would know what that was. He's all about cars. Uh, so yesterday we start the show. And right now, just the thing that everybody is talking about is is COVID and who's going to play and who's in and who's out. And so <laughs> ambiguous isn't the right word, but just the language about when you enter and when you can get out and when does five days start and when do five days enter. We had a long discussion about that, and it didn't feel like we really had our, our arms around it based on what was available. Frustratingly vague, I think, is how you would put it. And we didn't know. <clears throat> we were also talking yesterday, will the NFL – change its protocol lo and behold they have but and honestly reading the memo that the league sent out yesterday i feel like i have a better understanding of how the protocols work now today than i have at any other point in the future and hopefully they stick with that for a while finally got a hang of it you know the no you know now that i say that they'll change it next week i'm sure but oh sure i, I felt like i had a better understanding of how you got a black eye from your cat than I did. Yeah, for- I think that was fair yesterday. Probably <laughs> yeah, our listeners did. as well. <laughs> yeah. If you're watching on Zone TV, you can see Alex has a black eye. He got it from his cat. That's a long story. Uh, so here we go. So yesterday the news was this, and this had broken, uh, I, I guess, late the night before. The, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, had said, based on how things are now, this current Omicron variant that everybody seems to be getting they cut the days in quarantine. If you're asymptomatic, if you have symptoms, you still keep on living. That's another matter. For, that's another matter. But if you're asymptomatic, and there are people who are, five days of quarantine would do it. That that would get you out. So we had the discussion, and you know, some of you out there have to be doctors or lawyers or nurses or somebody who understand all this stuff. And I thought, okay, somebody will tweet us, but nobody did. Okay, if you if you start, let's say, in any given week and you test positive, but you stay asymptomatic, what would it take for you to get out? So this was in multiple stories yesterday, but I finally found a story. Um, ESPN reported in a story about Carson Wentz. You had to test positive on Monday at the latest to play on Sunday. Because our thing was, okay, so let's say you test positive on a Tuesday, so is it Tuesday? But that still doesn't make sense to me. Is it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday? We were, we were asking how does that work? To play Sunday, do you have to be out of it by Saturday? Yes. You can't get out of it on Sunday morning. It sounds like, you no, know, they said car, They said ESPN reported the test had to happen on Monday, the positive test, to play on the next Sunday. So that would mean... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So Tuesday would count as until Tuesday, then until Wednesday. It starts the day after your test. That is one day, 24 hours later. Is right. Bingo. Is like, one. like if there's a calendar. You don't test on Bing. Monday and say, okay, Monday's one. So that means for the Titans, then the crop of Bud Dupree and Julio, and I think it was Nick Westbrook, Aquina, somebody else, those guys, if they're asymptomatic, 
have a chance to play, right? We found out about that on Monday. So the question is, do we find out about it on the day that they test, or do we find out about it the next day? We don't really know that, I don't think. Lucas, do we know that? I don't know that we know that. So let's say I they, think we find out. Let's the say they test positive on Monday. The positive test comes out. Do we? Does it happen later in the day, and we find out about it on Tuesday? Here, here's the Titans timeline. Uh, going back and looking through my notes, their COVID moves on Tuesday: Danico, Audrey, Jayon Brown, and Cody Hollister. That was Tuesday. Meaning, if they're just per this ESPN report, if they tested positive on Monday, but we found out on Tuesday, they're okay. If we found out on Tuesday that they tested positive on Tuesday, per this ESPN report, they can't play on Sunday. So actually, I think I think we've just worked our way to an answer there. So Bud Dupree and Julio and those guys, we find out that they've tested positive on Monday. We found out Tuesday. Uh, Mon- no, we found on, out on Monday. Monday. Monday was Bud Dupree, Julio, Buster Screen, and Westbrook Aquina. And that they was don't, Monday. They don't test on game day. Well, actually, it wasn't game day for the Titans, so maybe they did test on Sunday. Either way, they're clear if they're asymptomatic. Any and all of clear. those guys. You're right. Because even I if think the, we've worked our way to an answer. It, even if they tested on Monday and we found out on Monday, Bud Dupree, Julio Jones, Buster Screen, and Nick Westbrook-Akina, technically, if they are asymptomatic, could come back. The question will be, were Danico, Jayon, Cody Hollister, uh, and then, yeah, Danico, uh, Jayon, Cody Hollister, that would be... That would be the ones based on their test timing. Now, Mike Vrabel said today, Taylor Lewan is back. So you got your left now, but but is he back? Is is his no pun intended back? Is his back back? Play. He's off COVID list and he'll practice. Is what is what Mike Vrabel said In today. Capacity. And so you've also got Nate Davis, who should have enough time. Hopefully, he went on Christmas Day. Hopefully, he's not actually sick. You hope that then you've got a chance to get him back as well. So you've essentially got. Jayon and Danico Autry. Ooh. You just see some news? No. But we're we're trying to figure out, is it the first day you took? Okay. The one, we got the notice on him on Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Right. So that's the 24th. 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. This is five days from then, which makes me wonder, did he test positive the day before? Well, this would be the fifth day. So if he got, gets it on the 24th. 25-1, So this will be the fifth day. So he, Okay, all right. So he could – well, this is his fifth day then. You know what, Mickey? The point is somebody a lot smarter than us is going to have to figure this out. We don't know when these people are coming back. This would be either – if so if you don't count the 24th, this is day five, so he should still be in quarantine, right? This should be the last of quarantine. So they must be counting the 24th, so maybe he tested the 23rd. That has to be it. Has to be it. Okay. Well, if that's the I case, think we might have just figured something. If out. these detectives that you're listening to now have figured, and what and what a radio segment in real time doing math for you, <laughs> we're what, sitting here what, counting with our fingers. What fantastic content uh, this is! But anyway, we're all trying to figure this out. So we're trying to figure out who can play and who can't play. If that's the case, and his test was 23rd, we find out on Christmas Eve. Then at that point, that puts that puts everybody in play. Right, because you would be testing the day before, and we'd be finding out the day, the day later. after. And yeah. so for the Dolphins, then the guys that tested positive yesterday, I guess there's a chance that they play, but they would have to be entirely asymptomatic and get back on Saturday, no practice all week. And, and those were some consequential guys. I mean, Brandon Jones, their safety, probably not a household name in the NFL, but really good player. Yeah. Really good when you're playing a zero blitz, too, and you better have some guys back there that can move. 
Um, it's so fascinating. I think at this point, what we can say, I mean, I mean, I feel comfortable making this assessment. The Titans and the Dolphins right now are on relatively equal footing. COVID-wise, maybe the Titans a little bit worse, given that they've got three receivers on there that's really hurting a position group. Um, neither team with 20 guys. And that, that's honestly what I want to see. I mean, okay, I can be a fan and I can sit around and I say that I hope that 40 Dolphins all catch COVID. They can barely throw <laughs> the roster and the Titans get an easy win. But honestly, I, I paid for a ticket to this game before the season, season ticket holder, right? I, I want to see a good game. This is what I want. I want these two teams to be able to play, you know, some semblance of real football. That's what I'm rooting for in all of these games. Music City Bowl tomorrow. Mm. So glad. I mean, I want to see... The Vols take on a really good Purdue team. I don't want to see the Vols just whoop by 30 a Purdue team that is a semblance of what it was a month ago. Now, there's a bunch of offense who want to see them win by 30. No, I want to see them win by 30. I want to see them score 28 in the first quarter, but I want to see them do that against a good Purdue team. Tomp Dog on Twitter. Tomp Dog. uh, There's not much explanation. Tomp Dog. I don't know if it's Dr. Tomp Dog, but uh, Tomp Dog says, that's correct, Mickey. The day you test is always considered day zero. Mm, okay. So the next day is one. So the, the next day. Okay. Is one. Okay. Tom Dog, just just throwing out some rationale there. Thank and it you. starts after right, the we'll swab, take... not the positive test. Okay. It so what? after after he was after the player was swabbed, it's the day after that. Like it's twenty four hours after the swab was taken. Not the test came back. Just oh, now. Okay. Comes, does the test come back the same day for the guys in the NFL? I'm or not sure how long day? it takes for the test to come back. Mm. There's another wrinkle. <laughs> Boy, uh, if you're the NFL's chief medical officer, what's that guy's name? And you're listening, uh, uh, Sills, Doctor Sills, know, Alan guy. Sills. Yeah, call us. It's Alan Sills. Uh, he, you know, call us and let us know. All right, we think maybe we figured this out, but I do know this. Uh, it talked about Carson Wentz. Any player that's going to play this week has to have tested positive no later than Monday. But uh, now, uh, so this guy in the in the zone chat is saying Antonio Brown tested positive on a Tuesday and played, and it was before this latest CDC change. But I think they're testing on Monday. That goes back to what Lucas is saying. He's probably swabbed on Monday. We find out about it on a Tuesday. Can you believe we've gotten to the point where we just spent 15 minutes on the radio counting on our fingers and figuring out these? That's how much of an impact this has had in the last month. This is where I mean, we are as the, people now. Th- that's right. This is where we are as a society. Um, well, regardless, uh, Taylor Lewan is the one guy. He is the farthest away of all the guys currently on the on the COVID list uh, in this most recent round of guys going on it. Christmas Eve. That's as far as I go back with my notes. That was Taylor Lewan. He is eligible to return to practice today, uh, which means maybe Nate Davis would be eligible to return tomorrow. Uh, and then on and on uh, with this group, possibly uh, the Monday moves that they did with uh, um, Bud Dupree, Julio Jones, Buster Screen, and Nick Westbrook-Akina, all guys they could use. Uh, Roger Saffold and Elijah, Elijah Bolden have already come off of uh, COVID reserve. So maybe I could go back and look through my notes and see what day – uh, they went on because I keep all my transactions from the Titans. All right, real-time COVID talk, uh, just what you wanted to hear. But anyway, <laughs> maybe we are at some kind of consensus here. So uh, it's get tested. Uh, now somebody's calling in. Maybe somebody's got this. We'll figure it out uh, over the course of today's show, hopefully. Blake Topmeyer said to join us, there's a lot going on in the SEC. Do bowl records matter? Because they seem to when your conference does well, then they don't seem to matter when your conference doesn't do well. Who cares about yes, bowls? Nobody cares. Right. 
But uh, when your conference is killing it in the bowls, then that always seems to be a big deal. So we'll get Blake Topmeyer next. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Vols. We'll talk about the National Championship semifinals. All that stuff. Going to be a fun uh, hour and 40 minutes or so left on Blaine and Mickey with special guest Alex Apple. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Alex Apple hanging out for the hitman today. Again, be weather aware. Could get a little weird later today. I know it's uh, boy, it's been a strange end of the uh, end of the year for all this weather stuff. So uh, just remember to keep your eyes on the skies. Find uh, some weather people that you trust, and uh, you know keep keep an eye on all that stuff. We keep an eye on the phone lines now. Blake Topmeyer joins us. Blake, how in the world are you doing this holiday season? I'm hanging in there, you guys. Man, we are hanging in there as well. Um, it, it's so funny. We were talking about this. We're trying to do math on COVID tests for NFL teams. Like, if you test positive on Tuesday, can you play on Sunday? When does the fifth day start? So we've been working through some pretty difficult stuff. But uh, the other thing that came up early on in the show was bowl season is so funny. Because if your conference is killing it in bowls, then everybody tweets about it. But if your conference is not doing well in bowls, then bowls don't really matter. Uh, and and we're in right now for SEC bowls don't really matter, right? When you're zero and four, these bowls don't matter. And, and I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, as as is so many times the case in these scenarios, right? Like I, I do think the bowls can be some indication um, of just how good your conference really was or wasn't in a certain season, but they're certainly not the end all be all, uh, particularly with with some of the COVID situations. Uh, this year, particularly with the number of, of bowl game opt-outs. Like, you know, Missouri lost to, to Army on a last-second field goal, right? Missouri's best player, Tyler Beatty, didn't play in the game. Would, would that have mattered in the outcome? Maybe. I mean, he, he was he was Missouri's stud all year, and he, and he didn't play. So, um, and, and that's not really being an apologist for the conference. It's just it, – it only tells you so much um, about whether, you know, a conference was, was really dominant or, or it wasn't. And, and it's ultimately not the thing that gets remembered. You know, people are going to remember who won the national championship this year. Five years from now, people will remember that. People won't remember what the ACC's bowl record was or, or what the, <laughs> the SEC's bowl record was this year. <laughs> if, if anything, though, this year has been fascinating because I, I worked at, you know, at a group of five school – and people asked me about bowl payouts once, and I said, if you play in, you know, the Poulain Weed Whacker Bowl, there's hardly any you, – you just try to break even when you go. Yeah. People couldn't believe that. Well, this year they're seeing the real money amounts as teams are like, oh, wait a second, we can leave this bowl and go play in this bowl? So instead of 300000 we can make $4 million? That may have been the most fascinating thing about all this is the actual finances for what bowls actually pay coming out. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you're right. That is a – um, a common belief that is that is false is that you know these these schools get rich by um, appearing in, in bowl games. When in reality, as you said, so many of these bowl games is it's like breaking even, and and the real money comes in the form you know for the SEC in particular of the collective distribution for the conference, uh, and so much of that comes from you know a handful of of bowls. It's yeah. it's not the low level bowls that are that are. Uh, you know, leading to this this big uh, conference dis- distribution. It's it's the bowls that you would expect. Yeah, absolutely. Blake Topmeyer, our guest, talking uh, SEC and college football and more here on Blaine and Mickey. Hey, Blake, it's Alex Apple. Good to have you on with us today. 
I'm not sure that in looking at the four that have lost so far, any of them are all that surprising when you're talking about the SEC being 0-4. Handicap for us, though, the next two. I think it's North Carolina, South Carolina, both six and six teams there. That's in Charlotte. And then Purdue, Tennessee coming up uh, later that same day, I think. Uh, maybe the SEC gets their first win in one of those. How do you look at them? Yeah, I think so, and I think it's going to be Tennessee. I mean, South Carolina – uh, obviously would became sort of a, a neat story toward the back half of the regular season, made it to a bowl game. I think most people, myself included, were, were a little surprised they were able to do that in, in Shane Beamer's first season. Uh, he didn't inherit a, a particularly strong roster, but um, you know, I think I think North Carolina is probably the, the stronger team. You know, North Carolina is a team that, uh, frankly, I think underachieved this season, whereas uh, I think South Carolina – uh, probably overachieved just just a little bit. So uh, I, I think I think the SEC might might have to wait just a little bit longer to get that first bowl victory. I think it's going to be in the form of of Tennessee. I think this is a good matchup um, for the Vols, particularly with a couple of uh, of Purdue's best players opting out, and, and Tennessee's dealing with you know shorthanded roster as as well with Kate Mays being ruled out of the game. Uh, not surprising, but still, you know, I think there was there was maybe some hope uh, up until today that that Cade Mays would would play in that game, but he's out. Alante Taylor, the best defensive back, um, is opting out. So so Tennessee will be a little shorthanded as well. But I, I just really like the way Tennessee finished the season. I, I thought over the you know the final six weeks or so of the, of the season, uh, are really going back almost even to a, to when they made a quarterback change to Hinton Hooker. I, I think this is. Uh, you know, a team that's functioning at a, at a pretty high level. And uh, I don't know how much history matters in, in matchups like this, but if you look at um, at Tennessee's history uh, in, in recent bowl games against the Big Ten, uh, Tennessee's fared pretty well uh, in, in those games. You know, and it's interesting. So I was looking at the bowl schedule here. I've got it up in front of me. I'm looking at Tennessee. It's sitting at 7-5, and five, overachieving probably in Heupel's first season by most measures. A pretty successful first year for him as coach. Then you're looking at Arkansas, eight and four. But I think the memory of Arkansas was, if you ask the average college football fan, oh, Arkansas was pretty good this year. I mean, didn't they make it all the way, almost up to the top ten? You know, they beat Texas earlier yeah. in the season, and right, they start four and zero. Oh, really, with the only consequential win, Texas turned out to not be any good. Be beating Texas A&M, a great win for sure. But then they get. You know, smoked by Georgia. They lose to Ole Miss uh, in an absolute shootout. They lose to Auburn the very next game. It's so funny how the way that you start the season, which Tennessee has been a victim of because they play Florida, Georgia, and Alabama seemingly out of the shoot every year, that really shapes memory of, of how your season's remembered. But you're looking at it at the end. Tennessee was one win away from the same record as Arkansas, and everybody was talking about the job that's been done down in Little Rock. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that, and and I think you know even with a win in this game, I, I don't think anybody's really thinking of of Tennessee as a top twenty five team, and maybe they should be. You know, if they do beat Purdue and, and finish eight and five, I I think they're going to come up, up short of that that top twenty five finish. But but I do think that they would belong in in the conversation. And you're right, the narrative for for teams sometimes gets cast a, a little bit early on, um, and, and with Tennessee. Uh, you look back at that Pittsburgh game, and, and that was really, really an opportunity missed. And then, uh, you know, on the heels of that, they, they got blown out uh, in many respects by, by Florida in the end. Um, it, it maybe looked a little more respectable than, than I think it really played out that day. Um, but th- but I, that was right around the time where, where Tennessee started to turn its season around. It's just the die is often cast, um, you know, in the court of public opinion sometimes, you know, after that, that first month of the 
of the season, um, at least at least as it gets to like you know teams that are kind of lingering um, in, in the bottom of the the top 25, where where I think Tennessee uh, sort of would belong, uh, at least in the conversation uh, with this game. I, I do think. Um, two, Arkansas maybe gets a little more respect for being in, in West Division. Um, you know, so many years in a row now has been the, the stronger division. And I think that was probably the case this year. Um, although, uh, you know, it's it's so hard to know um, because of the limited the limited crossover matchups. I mean, we, we know Alabama and Georgia. You know, they're there at the top. Uh, I think the West was better top to bottom, um, and, and certainly there's no Vanderbilt. Uh, in the West, that that helps, but you know it is kind of hard to know sometimes uh, with the limited crossover matchups that we get to see there. Blake uh, Topmeyer, our guest. So let's say Tennessee wins or loses this game, whatever outcome, does it seriously diminish, or does it, or does it seriously help? I mean, obviously, one more you know win on anybody's final record looks good, but how much does that change the perception, a win or a loss in year one for Josh Heupel? I think in terms of like what it actually means for the program, it doesn't matter that much. Right. Like eight, eight and five, seven and six, I don't think it really matters all, all that much for the program. In terms of the way your program is talked about for the next six months, I do think it matters. I think there's, I think the way teams are discussed in the off season after an eight and five season and a seven and six season are, are fairly different. I mean, you know, you go, you go seven and six, and it's like, well, you were you are one loss away from finishing below 500, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, it's a good season, but I do think, I do think when you get to eight and five, that really, that really changes the outlook. And I think, I think if Tennessee gets to eight and five, the off season narrative, if you will, will will be about, okay, Tennessee has, has quickly reestablished itself, um, you know, at the very least in the middle of the pack or or maybe at, uh, you know, at the top of the middle of the pack, uh, in the SEC now, can it start reeling in some of the some of the top dogs? If if you finish seven and six, I think then the narrative is like they're in there with a bunch of other middle of the pack SEC teams. So um, yeah, by and large, I don't think it really matters, you know, for your program for your long term growth of your your program. But I but I do think um, you know when you're rolling into SEC media days last year or next year, um, you know I, I think. I think the way this team is discussed uh, would be much different finishing eight and five versus seven and six. The other thing I think too, just with natural fan expectations, no matter how the you know the eighth win happened, I, I think they think okay, you got to win nine next year. You know, I, that, that, that stair stepping of expectations would seem to be the next natural thing. And if that's the case, let's say they do win, and you're a Vols fan and you're thinking, hey man, you got to win nine this year, that'd be a that would be a pretty heck of a, 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 a pretty nice accomplishment for Heupel and his staff, especially considering what they walked into. Yeah, and, and I think honestly, win, win or loss in this game, I think the expectations for Tennessee um, are, are going to bump up noticeably next year because um, not only just year two of a coaching tenure, but you look at that schedule, and that's set up about as well as as a Tennessee schedule ever ever is going to set up. I mean, you know, you're not going to to escape. Uh, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida on the schedule, but you have uh, you have Florida with a first year coach. You have a non conference schedule that's really f- pretty weak, frankly. Um, you have the, the the road game against Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh is going to be replacing uh, Kenny Pickett. Uh, Tennessee kicked Army off its schedule and in, in favor of Akron. So 
if, if you look you look at the schedule, I, I think I, I do think Tennessee is going to come into next season with some really high expectations, and I, and I think nine wins um, is is not unfair, um, you know, in terms of expectations for for Tennessee in twenty twenty two. By Top Meyer, our guest at B Top Meyer on Twitter, uh, covering the SEC for the USA Today family of publications. And so you're heading to Alabama, Cincinnati. I think I heard is the next. Um, game that you're going to be covering. So I'm wondering if Alabama defensive end Will Anderson has, in fact, convinced you, as he sought to do the other day, <laughs> that they are, in fact, the underdogs and that nobody's given them a chance against Cincinnati. Yeah, and getting no respect. Um, that is the rallying cry of, of football players across the America, whether you're the number one ranked team in, in the nation or whether you're ranked number 130, right, is that nobody's given you um, any any respect, which – um, you know, whatever. That's fine. Look, Will, Will Anderson can get his motivation wherever wherever he needs it, and and athletes certainly, um, you know, get fuel a lot of times from from those naysayers. And and when they don't exist, you got to concoct some boogeyman in the closet um, that's not giving you any <laughs> I mean, respect. But you that's know, you a real, a real that's a real there. persuasion job by Nick Saban. I mean, think about that. <laughs> he has been how many national championships he won? They're great every year. Everybody tells you you're great, and he's got these guys convinced that everybody's not saying that. Yeah, I mean, unless you and, take, and, think Will Anderson's just blowing smoke, and I don't think he does. They probably really no, it, that. But the thing of it is, going into the SEC championship, I think that would have been a somewhat accurate rallying cry. I, I think there were a lot of questions about Alabama going into the SEC championship. You know, Georgia was was the betting favorite in in that game. Georgia had looked like the um, the most dominant team for three months, whereas Alabama had looked inconsistent and vulnerable. But as you guys know, I mean. Uh, th- these things can change. The, the, the talking points can change so quickly uh, for teams. So it's like all of that was forgotten after Alabama just comes out and steamrolls Georgia in, in Atlanta. Just suddenly now the narrative becomes that this is an Alabama team that's that's finally hitting its stride and, and Bryce Young is is peaking and and how how is Georgia or, or Michigan in the national championship going to deal with Alabama's speed? Uh, that gave Georgia so much fits in in the SEC championship. Like nobody's talking anymore about the fact that Alabama's offensive line was really pretty mediocre uh, for the first three months of the season, and that its defense uh, was pretty inconsistent for the first three months of the season. Like in one game, I think they they quieted uh, most of those doubts, uh, and so it's like, yeah, Will Anderson's having to having to dial back the clock to like December 1st um, to, to come up with some of these, um, these so-called criticisms and, and doubts that, that Alabama's facing. But, you know, so it goes. And, and really, I think, you know, every, every team in this playoff, certainly if Alabama can make the case, uh, I think unsuccessfully, but if it, if it can try to make the case that it's the underdog, I think certainly the other three teams in, in this field um, can, can, can make that pitch, certainly none, none more so than, than Cincinnati. The other game, George is just going to ride or die with with Stetson Bennett, huh? And let and let's say something happens and they don't win, that's they're going to have to answer some questions. Absolutely, I, I mean this is this season is is sort of a referendum on on Kirby Smart, um, you know, good, bad, or, or otherwise. This is this has been his best team uh, in Athens, and and he's had some good ones, but this is his best one. Um, this is this is the season where he, his team was ranked number one uh, for most of the year. This is the season where they had a great opportunity um, to get Alabama out of there. Like you don't have to worry about them in the national championship game. 
if you just if you beat them in the SEC game in in Atlanta, you, could, you they they had an opportunity um, to to deliver a knockout punch and the, and they whiffed. Uh, but now they get a second chance, right? They get they get two bites of the apple. Um, and, and so if they come up short, I agree. I mean, I, I think this is going to be something that that hangs over uh, Kirby throughout the off season. Um, you know, maybe to a certain degree, maybe even a little unfairly so. I mean, I think what Kirby's done um, has been quite impressive in Georgia. He he took a, what was already a, a good program um, and lifted it into a, a great program in, in pretty quick order. Uh, but the expectation in college football nowadays, especially when you're at these um, these top dollar programs, uh, is national championships. Like the the days of being able to win, um, you know, ten games and and maybe go to a good bowl game and and get a victory and call that a successful season. Like I think at these top programs, that's that's come to an end. And part of that's probably with with what they're paying these these coaches, and part of it's probably a reflection um, of of the what what have you done for me lately society we're in now. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think absolutely uh, for Kirby Smart, um, this is a big opportunity. But if they don't cash in on this season, I, I do think that uh, you know people aren't aren't going to forget about how Georgia was was number one for much of this season, um, and then you know let it let it slip away at the end. Blake, one more question for you from me. I read your article about the top five environments that you covered this year. I forget exactly how many games it was that you had, had been to, 15, 20 games. Um, Texas A&M, the best environment, uh, got your top spot this year. How close was it? And if you had to pick an environment in the SEC that at its peak is the best, do you go Kyle Field? Where do you go with that? Wow, yeah, that Kyle Field game was uh, that that was really special with with number one Alabama coming into town. Night game, you know, nobody was giving Texas A&M much chance in that game. Had two losses, um, and and the place was just was so loud. You know, they talk about the press box shaking there; it really does. Um, and then and then when it's over, you just get thousands of fans just streaming over over the wall, which conference officials say is a fine. I say it's college football. Uh, at its finest, right? You know, seeing that scene play out. Um, yeah, I think that was that was probably the clear number one for me. I had uh, I had Alabama at Florida number two. Of course, at that time, uh, Florida didn't know its season was was going to go down the drains. At that time, it was a top ten matchup, and the and the swamp was uh, was really rocking that day. I've so after this season, I've now been at at all fourteen SEC venues. I was missing a couple coming into this year, and, and I checked them off the list this year. Um, and for me, when when each place is going at its best, I probably Tennessee fans won't like this, but I would probably put uh, put the swamp number one. And just the, the way that stadium is is built, it it traps all the noise in there. Um, and Florida fans at times can be kind of fair weather fans. Let's let's call it what it is. Uh, but when Florida's when Florida's playing well and the swamp's rocking. Um, they have some deep traditions there, uh, especially the new tradition of, of Tom Petty at the end of the third quarter. I, I think that's a um, that's a tough environment to, to top uh, if you're if you're looking for for sheer crowd noise. Um, although Kyle Field uh, certainly certainly this year against Alabama, I, I would say would uh, would go toe to toe with the Swamp. All right, on the way out. Uh, uh, uh... You had also written about this, and I, I thought it was an interesting look. And it was, Mike Leach had basically gotten after guys for opting out of bowl games, and then you got after Mike Leach. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I think for these coaches, um, I mean, look, I don't I don't love as someone who likes college football. I don't love guys sitting out at bowl games either. I think it's it's tough to see um, the sports top players get to the postseason and sit out. So from so from that perspective, um, I get it. But you know, the last people that need to be criticizing that I think are coaches uh, who bolt before bowl games. All the time, you know. If these bowl games are so important, uh, then why is is Brian Kelly at LSU and not at Notre Dame right now? And and, and you look at Mike Leach, and um, you know he did this when he was an assistant at, at Oklahoma. He accepted the job, the head coaching job uh, at Texas Tech. He didn't coach in Oklahoma's bowl game uh, that year. He was he was already in the saddle at at Texas Tech by the time the bowl rolled around. Which, by the way, I don't blame Mike Leach for for doing that. He'd be a fool. Uh, if he said, you know, no thanks, Texas Tech, I'm going to spend the next month at Oklahoma uh, and coach in this bowl game. Of course he's not going to do that. Um, but what's good for the coaches is, is, is good for the players. And, you know, we're talking about millionaire coaches um, and, and players who are not under contract. They're not being paid uh, by the school. And I know some people out there would say, uh, well, they're getting a scholarship for the school. Well, these guys that are opting out, they're not coming back anyway. Like <laughs> their, their, their time as a student is done. The semester has, has ended. They're out of here. Um, and so, you know, it, it's tough to see, but I get it. Um, and I think for Mike Leach to, to refuse to acknowledge the, um, the risk that these players uh, take by, by stepping on the field in a, an extra bowl game is, um, is unfair on, on his end. I, I love to see the guys like Matt Corral. Uh, that say, you know what, I'm, I'm probably going to be a first-round draft pick, but but I'm going to uh, play in the bowl game anyway because I think it's the, the right thing to do by my teammates. I, I, I love seeing that. Um, but I also think you have to acknowledge, which Mike, Mike Leach didn't, um, the real risk that, that these players uh, take by stepping out there. We've seen guys get injured, and it, and it hurt their draft stock um, by multiple rounds. We've seen that happen in, in bowl games. So, that, so there is a risk. Um, that, that these guys that are headed for the NFL take by, by playing in an extra game. I love, I love seeing the guys that, that want to play anyway, but, um, but, but I certainly um, understand and, and appreciate uh, the, the decision that, that goes into it for, for these guys that are headed to the NFL. Blake, good stuff, man. Uh, appreciate the time as always, and uh, can't wait to catch up again. Some people need to follow Blake at BTopMeyer. That'll get you there on Twitter. Thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, Thanks, sir. Blake. Covering the SEC for USA Today. We really haven't talked about John Madden uh, at all today, and we need to do that, pay tribute to uh, to that man. If you've got a thought or anything you want to share about Madden, absolutely hit us on Zone TV Chat, on Twitter, at Blaine and Mickey, or call us on the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline, 615-737-1045. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Little Tom Petty. Lucas Rock and a little classic rock for you today. Lucas Pansico always plays the right tunes. Um, Alex Apple hanging out for the Hitman. We would be remiss. Uh, we started the show when we were talking about COVID testing and when does the calendar start and do, do they find out the test result the day they get tested or is it the next day? There's a culture reporter, Stephen Holder, uh, who's one of the OG culture reporters, covered him for quite some time. He's tweeted how, how confused he is about Carson Wentz's timeline. Uh, basically saying, so my understanding of his timeline is that Saturday is technically day five. He said there was confusion earlier because of the way Frank Reich phrased it this morning. But I don't blame him. We're all confused and exhausted. That sums all that Amen, up. Amen, baby. Uh, 
certainly no confusion or exhaustion regarding John Madden. Um, some people are calling him the most influential NFL figure. I uh, thought that was a pretty amazing thing to say. Never played pro football. He played college football. He has the highest winning percentage of any coach in NFL history. There's a whole generation or two of people who only know of him as a broadcaster or the video game guy. Won a Super Bowl as the Raiders head coach. And had the Steelers not been the absolute team of the century. and You'd think about that more. Yeah. He would have won. The Raiders would have won. Their, their biggest rival at that time. I know they had an inter-divisional rival with the Chiefs always. That's been a pretty tough one. But their rivals in the 70s were the Steelers. There were books written about it. Um, and that probably kept him from winning a second Super Bowl. We got Joe on the line from Nolansville, and he wants to talk about John Madden. Joe, thanks for calling. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Love the show. Uh, you know, I'm almost 50 years old, and my biggest memory, you know, playing football out in the yard, and every time you stuck your brother in the dirt and you looked at him and you just said, snot bubble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one of my – when I heard the news, that's the first thing that, you know, just being a kid throwing the ball around the yard and just always hearing his voice, you know, it's just iconic. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, I remember sweaty butt pants. Um, well, I, him sh- showing linemen and their they had sweated through their pants. A sweaty <laughs> butt pants is one of the things that stands out for me. But it's different for different. Boom! Everybody yeah. remembers so many things about Madden. Yeah, and I just remember his voice was so unique. And f- as someone that you know, a kid of the '90s, growing up and getting to play some of those video games, I mean, you think about how that shaped how that brought people into the game. And it probably is a major portion of what the NFL is today. I mean, to have what's probably been the most popular video game ever. I mean, I'm not a video game expert. If that's terribly wrong, then somebody can tell me. But um, to have that influence into the broadcasting influence to you know continue to be a figure that has been talked about, I mean, and that name will endure now with that game as well. I don't think that's far-fetched to call him a major figure that made the NFL what it is today. I don't know that you can quantify that, but to go from coach to broadcaster and then to bring the game into a medium where so many people could interact with it and understand it. And Lucas was laughing about a funny tweet during the break. What, what was it? It said, I'll let you, I won't steal your thunder. John, I'll let you read it. Well, John, uh, Sando, I think tweeted this out. John Madden is the reason why 13 year old boys across the country are better than clock at clock management than Mike McCarthy. <laughs> and that gets to people's understanding of the game and, and bringing more people into the sport. That's now such an entity. And he's a major portion of it. Somebody was asking me, I was talking about Stevie wonder one time. And I said, you know, Stevie Wonder's a Hall of Famer as a singer. He's a Hall of Famer as a songwriter. He's a Hall of Famer as a musician on multiple instruments. John Madden was literally a Hall of Fame football coach. He has the highest winning percentage of all time. He might be the best color commentator in the history of sports. And whether or not you liked his style, he made a, a, made a, he, he made a very complex game very simple for people, even in the most complex of times. So... He has the highest winning percentage of any NFL coach. He might be the best color commentator in the history of sports, certainly in the history of football. And then he has his name attached to something that might be, as you said, and I'm not a big gamer, might be the greatest video game of all time. And he and Pat Summerall were so iconic for those Thanksgiving days, too. How many Thanksgivings did you listen to John Madden? All of them. All of them. Everybody did. All of them. And and they're... You had the very excitable Madden with the very stoic. Oh my gosh, the uh, world's biggest stoic with Pat, Pat Summerall. Summerall. It was, and and if you if you're a Frank Caliendo fan, 
Um, he does an imitation imitation of those two, and he says almost nothing for Pat, and then everything is what John says. But uh, uh, it's just it's just a big loss. I didn't realize he had retired in two thousand nine. That came out as we were sitting here, and I thought, oh my gosh, it doesn't even seem like he's been along. He's been retired from broadcasting that long. Uh, let's take one more call, Mike and Thompson Station on the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. Mike, thanks for calling. Hey guys, what's going on? So um, I think the NFL um, really you know, old. Uh, well, I'm not going to say old. They should you know. With John Mack, especially with this generation, the previous generation, the NFL wouldn't be as popular without John Mack in the football game. A lot of these kids don't identify with actually the player that they see on TV. They identify with the player they play with in the video game. So I mean, it, you know, just to take a little further. The educational part of it, kids didn't, I mean, when I was coming up, we didn't actually know the play until we played the video game. I took a play that I ran as a child off of the Madden video game and ran it the next day in the football game in high school, basically the same way I seen the video game score the touchdown. So, John, man, that guy's a legend, rest in heaven, man. You're going to be missed, man. Love you guys. Have a good one. My gosh, that's a well said. That's a fantastic phone call. Uh, we do need to take a break. We got hour number two coming up. Uh, Jordan DeJani is going to join us. We'll talk NFL headlines. We'll talk uh, at the COVID testing, everything else that's going on in the NFL policy wise with him. Maybe carry this uh, Madden discussion a little bit further. We'll hit it in the uh, first segment of the next hour two. I know he meant so much to a lot of people. So phone lines open if you want to weigh in as well. 615 737 1045.